Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So two weeks ago, we had our longest scripture reading. It went almost eight minutes. Today, it's 20-something seconds, all right, Uh, as we finish up Acts. But let's just start with a simple application. We are a church-planting church. We believe in church-planting. We believe that God's purpose of redemption happens primarily through the planting and the the, um, health of churches in local communities. So you have the church universal that shows up as local outposts with local churches, and and we believe in church planting. And so here's an application right now for every one of us in here. During the spring, we pause for a minute and and encourage you to be generous with with your resources to an offering that will go to church planting. Um, Our church plant offering that will take up the the rest of this month and kind of up through the Easter season uh, will go to our two networks. So we're part of this network called Acts 29. More about that in a minute. And we're part of a network uh, that is called um, the Send Church Planting Network as well. Both these networks plant churches everywhere in North America and around the world. And we are part of church plants, and very specifically the church plant that we're uh, uh, com- connected to and, and giving to regularly is Faith Community Bible Church in North St. Louis County. And so we will take whatever's given and split it between the networks in this church. And so we just challenge you that, that as we're going through this Lent season, headed, heading up to Easter, one of the things that every single one of us in here can do is find a way to give for the cause of church planting so that the purpose of the gospel can go uh, all around North America, all around the world. And so be a part of that, all right? Um, and the, then a second quick announcement, we love our kids. We love our green shirts. We love doing ministry with children, and we want to make disciples of our kids, all right? And so with that in mind, we also want to tell you, parents, listen, we are not the primary disciplers of your children. Our goal is to come alongside of you as you disciple your kids and to supplement what you should already be doing uh, as uh, you are leading your children to love Jesus, to grow in the Lord. And, but for some parents, that's hard, and sometimes it's, it's hard to figure out how to have those conversations. And so we have an, a, a class that is designed for our kids, some of our kids and their parents coming up real soon, that is really for children who are starting to ask questions about faith, uh, thinking about, like, like if your kids have said to you, I think I'm ready to be baptized, or they, they have inquisitive questions about what it means to follow Jesus, or maybe they've already trusted in Jesus, but they're just trying to figure out how to begin this. We have this class uh, that is going to happen during our worship Sunday morning gathering for children, uh, but, but we also have in that class that will be bookended with a class that is for parents Uh, And we're going to walk them through the basics of the faith, the meaning of salvation, the glory of the gospel, the beauty of baptism, all those sorts of things, while we also invest in you as parents uh, to help you know how to love and uh, lead your kids. And the class is designed for you to kind of like get the material and they'll they'll do something on Sunday morning and then you're going to spend the week just talking to them about some things. We'll push all that material out. But the big thing is that we need you to register for that, okay? So uh, if you have kids that are... Uh, like elementary age, this is kind of where we're at, kids who are kind of old enough to figure out what faith is on their own and be moving towards what it means to trust in Jesus, uh, or they've done that. We, we, we challenge you and encourage you to get involved in this, and we, but we need you to sign up. Our normal sign-ups, you have a QR code there in the bulletin uh, that you can just scan with your phone. It opens up all the events we have going on. You can find that event there, or you can fill out um, the tear-off on the green sheet, uh, put that in the offering uh, as it's passed a little bit later, and you can register that way. So we get here to the end of Acts. We're finishing. This is sermon number 50. Now, if this is your first time with us, you're like, I missed it. Well, it's all online. You can go listen to it if you want to. But uh, we've been walking through this amazing story that is the book of Acts. And we bring it to its conclusion with two simple verses. And where we close is it tells us that Paul is in Rome. He's under house arrest. And he is, uh, people are free to come to him. He is paying his own expenses, but he is not free to do whatever he wants. Yet, the gospel goes forth unhindered. The gospel goes forth unhindered. The story of Acts begins... Um, with uh, a small band of people 
in an upper room awaiting a promise from Jesus. It's about 30 years before the event, the, the text that we read this morning. About 30 years before this, a small group of people are waiting in the upper room. They've heard from Jesus himself. They saw the risen Christ. They interacted with him. And in fact, Jesus, in his parting words to them, said this in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, not a lot of detail, but just real quick. Even after Jesus died, they are still thinking, okay, that was cool. You died, you rose again. We didn't see that coming. We were freaked out. We were sad, depressed for a couple days. A little heads up would have been nice, although Jesus actually gave them multiple heads up during his earthly ministry, but they just couldn't get it through their head that he was going to die on the cross and three days later rise again. You don't expect that sort of thing. And here's Jesus who died, rose again, and now he's hung out with them for 40 days but now they're going, okay, we're Jewish people. We think the promise is that our nation's going to be great. You're the Messiah, and you are unstoppable now. You rose again. They can't kill you again. Yes, this is the plan, right? Make Israel great. And Jesus looks at and says, listen, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons of these sorts of things. But, verse 8, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus looks at this band of, of people. It's about 120 people. More than that in just a minute. About 120 people are hanging out with Jesus in the uh, days after his resurrection. He says this. Listen, you go wait. The promise of the Spirit of God coming on you will come. And you will be my witnesses. And you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. This is actually the outline of the book of, that we have just studied. The, whole, the, the first few, seven or eight chapters, were about the witness of the church in Jerusalem as the church spreads like crazy in that city. Then the gospel spreads to regions around. It starts to cross racial and cultural barriers. As we see Samaritans saved, these people that Jews hated. Uh, we see the first Gentiles, non-Jews, come to faith in Jesus. And then the apostle Paul, God miraculously saves this man named Saul, who's also known as Paul, and he becomes the instrument, one of the instruments, but the instrument the story of Acts tells us about, about the gospel going to the nations. And it's insane. I'm telling you that what happens in Acts is not possible in the ancient world if there is no God. It is one of the clearest proofs of the God who is true, the God of the scripture, because what we end up with is a cultural phenomenon in places where every person who proclaims Jesus is marginalized, is not important, is not, you know, in any seat of power. Nobody holds office. Nobody has clout. There's nobody writing for the New York Times or the Washington Post. There are no influencers, social media influencers in this crowd. Yet, 120 people in the upper room wait for the promise the Holy Spirit comes on them and a fire starts. That in 30 years, 120 Jewish marginalized people who are under oppression of the Roman Empire turns into the gospel in every single city in the Roman Empire. It is spreading like wildfire. It is cross-cultural boundaries so that it's not just a Jewish thing at all. It's becoming more and more a Gentile, but it's not just a Gentile thing. It's something that is actually where people are divided racially in the culture. The gospel is going and bringing those people together. And so whether it's Jew or Gentile or barbarians and, and Greeks, which was another dividing line, God is bringing those people into his kingdom, into his church, they're finding Christ. And 30 years after the gospel starts on the day of Pentecost, we have a phenomenon of the spread of the gospel that has not reached the literal ends of the earth, but it has reached Rome and Paul is there. That's what the story has told us. It's an amazing thing. Uh, uh, author, historian Michael Green says it this way, says what happens is crazy. Three crucial decades in world history. 
That's all it took. In the years between AD 33 and 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has spread into every corner of the globe and has more than 2 billion uh, putative adherents. It has an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course, on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all of this, the time when it took decisive root was in these three decades. It all begun with a dozen men, a handful of women, and then the Spirit came. God is telling a huge story. He has told it in Acts as we have seen the spread of the gospel, the advance of his kingdom, people's lives transformed by the power of the gospel in the last 50 sermons, story after story of just faithful preaching, faithful proclamation by spirit-filled people making much of Jesus, sent by God the Father as they, make, they tell the world about Jesus. People come to faith, their lives are transformed, churches are planted, outposts for the kingdom in every city, and the gospel is spreading like crazy. And now Paul gets to Rome. He's been, he's been waiting for four years. Four years before this, he started telling people, I'm going to go to Rome. God wants me to go to Rome. Now, in his mind, like, this is me. I got my plan. I'm going to work my plan. It's going to happen just like I say it's going to happen. And it never does. Right? Can I get an amen? Paul thought he's going to hop in a boat, go to Jerusalem, deliver an offering to the Jerusalem church, the mother church, the first church in the, in the story, hop on a boat and go back to Rome, visit Rome, and then he's going to preach the gospel in Rome, and then the Roman church is going to send him on to Spain. What actually happens in the story is a four-year excursus that includes uh, Paul going to Jerusalem, getting beat up and almost killed, getting arrested by the Romans, multiple trials. He ends up on a boat two years later, headed to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. He appealed his, his case to the highest court in the Roman Empire, and now he's put on a boat, but that boat ends up getting pulled out into a hurricane. It's lost at sea for 14 days. Everybody loses hope. They think they're going to die yet. And then there's a shipwreck. Paul gets bit by a snake. I mean, everything goes wrong. But eventually God keeps his word. He saves everybody in the boat. Paul makes it to Rome. Last week we walked through the last journey. And now Paul's there. He's in Rome. And what we expect to read. Now watch this. What we expect to read at this moment is these last two verses. And then we think there's got to be another chapter. Acts is so frustrating. If I'm reading Acts as a story, it is so frustrating because here's Paul in Rome. But the whole story since Acts chapter 20 has been this journey to Rome and over and over again telling us that Paul is going to stand before Caesar. This cat named Nero, who was the, basically the emperor of the Roman Empire, the most powerful man in the world. And Paul is going to stand before him, a trial before Caesar. We want to read the story and we want to go, okay, what happened? Does he get released? Does he stand before Caesar? How'd that go? And so we think we're going to flip the page. The story's going to resolve itself. We're going to have this great conclusion of Acts that's going to say, and Paul was set free, pre-preached the gospel to Caesar. Caesar believed in Jesus. Woohoo! And Paul set free and he went, kept doing his gospel globetrotting for years and years and years later. We turn the page and we get to Romans. We just end with, Paul paid his rent for two years. He kept telling people about Jesus. You're like, yeah, but <laughs> wait a minute. How does how's the story end? And Acts goes silent. It does not, the story does not resolve itself. I mean, what happens to Paul? Where's Peter? Peter, the great apostle, disappears after Acts chapter 12 and 14. No more mention of the last 25 years of Peter's life. We have the 12. We've had Matthias in chapter 1. Is the, this disciple now made the, it restores the apostolic band. What, what, what else happened with Matthias? Crickets. What about James, the brother of Jesus? Well, we meet him a couple times, but, but Luke does not tell us that. 
What, what about the 120 people? Nothing. It's frustrating because we get to the end of the story and Luke just goes, all right, he's in Rome. Woohoo! Hung out for a couple years, paying his own expenses. And, and, and the gospel's unhindered. The end. Why, why would Luke write this? And why would God not finish the story? I think it's important to know why. I think there's, I'm not God, I'm not trying to tell you I have the mind of God and everything, but I think I know why. Now, I think I know why Luke did. And then I think I know why God chose to inspire Acts this way. Let's talk first of all about Luke. There's different theories on this. You can go out and read and find difference of opinion. But I think what happened is Luke got to this afternoon in his writing. He's been hanging out with Paul. He's one of Paul's buddies. He's been traveling with him. The last uh, eight or nine chapters have all been in first person plural. He's been talking about we, we. He's been on this trip with, the, with Paul all the way to Rome. He is in Rome with Paul. He is part of the story. Doesn't make a big deal about it other than identifying the story in we language instead of they language. But he's along for the ride. And he's the author of this. And I think he just got up to, and here's what's happening today. The end. Theophilus, here's the book. It, it reminds me of the movie Spaceballs. Anybody ever see the movie Spaceballs? Those of you who haven't seen it, I'm sorry, I'm, this is going to be wasted on you. But those of, who, those of you who join in really ridiculous humor will enjoy this. There's a moment in that movie where uh, they are trying to find the, 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 you know, the guy who is Dark Helmet, who's Rick Moranis, is kind of the Darth Vader character in the story because it's all a spoof on Star Wars. They're trying to find his nemesis. And they had this whole joke back in the day when everybody was watching stuff on VHS. Remember that? Anybody who says no is just young and, you know, gosh, it was annoying. Rewind, fast forward. So they're rewinding. But the joke is that VHS tapes of movies are coming out so fast now that the movie is still being made, the story's still being told, but the VHS tape is already out. We can get it. So they pull a VHS tape of Spaceballs, the movie. They put it in, they start fast-forwarding, and they go through these crazy moments where events happen. But then they pass, and they get to this one moment where they're all standing, looking at the screen on the TV, and what they're looking at is themselves in that moment. And... and Rick Moranis' character, Dark Helmet, looks at this other guy and goes, now when is this in the movie? And the guy goes, this is now, sir. What do you mean this is now? This is now. Well, when did this happen? Now. Well, what about the other things? Well, that was then. This is now. That, like the whole moment, you're just like, okay, that's ridiculous. And I laugh hysterically at it. I, I think this, Luke writes Acts 28. He gets to these last two verses and he's like, this is now. The reason it is the end is Luke is caught up with his story to today for him. But God is the, the author, ultimate author of Scripture. Why doesn't God inspire Luke to wait to see what happens? Why doesn't God inspire Luke to add an addendum at the end that gets passed on and added to the story? Why doesn't God do something that helps us resolve the story? And I think it's so that we will be careful to read the story the way it's supposed to be read what I do is I start reading Acts and I see the 120 people. There's our heroes. I see Peter. There's our hero. I see Stephen who's martyred, but I think he's the hero. And then I get to Paul and I think the whole story is about the hero, Paul. And if I read the story that way, if I read the story that way, then I'm going to spend my life looking for heroes of the Christian faith. I'm going to think it's about somebody other than me. But really what's going on here is that they are not the heroes and the story does not depend on them. God does not need Peter. God does not need the 12. God does not need the 120. God does not need the Apostle Paul. But in his grace and in his glory, he chooses to use ordinary, marginalized, weak people for his fame and his glory. But the story in Acts is not about these people. It is about the mission of the triune God. It is about God accomplishing his purpose no matter what. And Acts has been a journey through God's purposeful accomplishment of the gospel to the ends of the earth so that all people will know. 
And if that's the story, it changes. In fact, as I read Acts, I need to understand this. When I read Acts, I have to begin by asking who this story is about. If the story is about Peter, Paul, the apostles, the church, then I will be frustrated because there's no ending to the story. But if I see that the first words of, if I see the first words of the story, those first words, uh, I'm sorry, if I read the, see the first words of the story, that Acts is really about all that Jesus began to do, and understand who this story is really about, did I not only see the beauty of this story, but I can find my place in his story. See, see the story begins, Luke is writing to this guy named Theophilus, probably some kind of Roman ruler, leader, official. And he says, listen, the first book I wrote, which is the Gospel of Luke, is about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to do and teach. The inference is that Acts, the sequel to Luke, is a continuation of what Jesus was doing and teaching. The, the story is about Jesus. It is about God. It's about the eternal purpose of God. And if I see that, then I realize Acts is God telling his story. Listen, we should read Acts, when we, as we've read Acts, we should read Acts not as observers, not as scholars where we're trying to go in the deep end and figure everything out about Acts. And we've done some of that. I'm not saying we shouldn't do deep study of the Bible. I'm thankful for that. We should not read Acts as historians where we can you know, now tell you all the history of Acts, although I think it's helpful for us to understand those things. We should read Acts as soldiers. As we understand that I now am part of a mission, and I read Acts to understand the purpose of this mission, the goal of the mission, and my place in the mission. That's why we read Acts. And Acts does not end by telling us what happened to Paul because, frankly, it doesn't matter. What matters is that the story began with 120 people in the upper room and a promise from Jesus on behalf of God the Father and God the Son, that God the Father has purpose, God the Son has accomplished, and God the Spirit will come, and that God will accomplish his purpose, which is a people from every tribe, every people, every language, around the throne of God, worshiping at the end of time, that Christ is redeemed the people, and that his purpose cannot fail. And we get to be a part of it. We are Acts 29. Listen, the story of Acts as Scripture may have ended with these last two verses. The story of Acts in terms of what happens with Paul and, and the story that happens at the advance of the gospel to Rome may have ended. But the story of Acts in terms of what is being told to us about the mission of God has not ended. It goes on and it includes every follower of Jesus at every point in history is God who saved us has invited us into his glorious mission. If I read Acts trying to find heroes, then I'm going to ask, am I the hero? And go, no. But if I read Acts seeing that God is the hero, I realize that I have a place in the story. You have a place in the story. And so that's why Acts ends like it ends. That's why Acts ends like it ends. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to talk to you about the big themes that we've covered over and over again. I'm about to really quickly preach the same outline three times to you. Three times. And outline has five points, so I got to keep moving, don't I? I now have 15 points to get through. Some of you are like, oh my Lord. But, but I want to tell you what these themes are in Acts and then push them forward to some other spaces and places and eventually get to us today. And my goal is to show you how this great story of Acts is more than just history. It's an invitation. It's an invitation for each and every one of us. So what are these themes? Five big themes that we see in Acts that show up in the story of Acts. First theme is this. Uh, we see this, the, the, the glory and the, the beauty of the mission of the triune God. The mission of the triune God. The entire story, I've already said this, the entire story is about God. It is about God the Father who purposed. The, the, the Father who is, um, uh, has from eternity past 
decreed his will, who will accomplish his purpose, who is going to work out everything according to the counsel of his will, that God the Father, before the foundation of the world, planned the gospel. The gospel of Jesus was not God going, holy cow, they messed this up. Now what do I do? That from the foundation of the world, the glory of the Lord is the most important thing, and God's glory is going to be on display in the world through his justice, through his righteousness, and through the sending of Jesus Christ, his son. And God has purposed this. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that God the Father has purpose. It is the story of God the Son who has accomplished it for us, who has, uh, 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 the Son is the one who secures our redemption, that Christ who is God, came into the world and became human and lived the perfect life I should have lived. And his death on the cross secured our redemption. We're about to pick up a new series next week. That's the, the, the name of that series is going to be called Jesus Is. And we're going to spend about 13 weeks just asking the question of who is Jesus? We're going to look at the different aspects of his character and his being and the great truths that the church has always known about him. But our goal is not to just give you information. It's to lead to transformation because we don't just want you to know about Jesus. We want you to know Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with your creator through his son, Jesus. You can know him. So we start by knowing about him, but that knowing about him should lead us into knowing him. And Jesus has secured your redemption. It is about the Holy Spirit who empowers that God sends the Holy Spirit to the church and the Holy Spirit fills his people and accomplishes the purpose of God in the world at this time. And that we are people who have the spirit. If you have trusted in Christ, you have the spirit of God. The power of God resides in you. Are we going to avail ourselves to the purpose of God so that the spirit can use us? Over and over in the story, we've seen that the Holy Spirit is filling people, that the Holy Spirit is the one who's giving them boldness, the Holy Spirit is the one who's causing the spread of the gospel, the Holy Spirit is, is going before these people who preach and preparing the hearts of people to hear the gospel. It is the Holy Spirit of God working out the purpose of God as we proclaim the story of Jesus. That, that the story of Acts is about this, the mission of the triune God, the one God, three persons, mystery, way bigger my head can get around, but the God who is. And the whole story is about God. Second thing, the second big thing is the glory of the gospel. The glory of the gospel. That, that the God, God's purpose is made true through a simple story. And that is the story of Jesus. And, and what we see over and over again in the text of Scripture, in the text of Acts, I mean, as Luke is writing, he starts telling us that the word multiplied. What he means by that is that people in the power of the Spirit are proclaiming Christ. The, the central theme of all of the preaching in Acts has been the story of the resurrection. But the reason the resurrection is important is that that bookends or that concludes the whole narrative of Jesus' life. They're telling us that Jesus came, lived, and died. Now, they're telling this story in an era where Jesus, as a human being, lived in, in their lifetimes. They're saying, hey, you've heard about this Jesus cat. You know who he was. He hung out here in Israel. He, he was doing all these crazy miracles. Y'all know that, that like they killed him on a Friday. But I'm letting you know that that guy that you may have met one time, he actually rose again. He's alive. Christ was the central message, and they are proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. People all over hear that, that message, and they kind of push back against it. But the glory of the gospel is this. The glory of the gospel is that when Christ is proclaimed, when we make much of Jesus, that hearts will be softened by the beauty of the gospel, and that through the gospel, our God will save people. And so, so we see this in Acts. We see this in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, where, where Luke writes, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You hear that? They're proclaiming the gospel in Jerusalem. And as the word of God increases, so does the number of disciples. And the mission of God is accomplished through the gospel, the glory of the gospel. Acts chapter 12, verses 24 through 25. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And what, what's being signified at that point of story is that the, the word of God has increased it is spread out of Jerusalem. It is going to make its way to the city called Antioch. 
where there is going to be an explosion of the gospel of Christianity among people in Antioch. And they're going to send Paul, Barnabas, and Mark on mission to go to Turkey, modern-day Turkey, to preach Christ. And the word of God increases. And churches are planted. And the gospel multiplies. And people come to faith in Jesus. And the, the story of people trusting in Jesus spreads. Acts 19, verses 18 through 20. And many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. This is what's going on. Is the word of God made it to the city of Ephesus. This huge, uh, super important city in the Roman Empire. And people had heard the gospel, and now they're repenting of their sin. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together, and they burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. What happened is people who had been practicing uh, basically witchcraft and sorcery, magic, heard about Jesus, they turned from their sin, and they started bringing all these books that were famous. The city was known for its magic arts. And, and, and numbers that, that, that is... Tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars of books were burned. Now, I'm not for book burning. Unless it's somebody saying, I'm getting this away from me and I'm turning to Christ. And so, at this moment, but look at this. So the word of the Lord continued to, what? Increase. The word of the Lord continued to? And it prevailed mightily. You can't stop this word. The glory of the gospel going forth is changing the lives of people. It is spreading. Where the gospel goes, people believe. Where people believe, churches are planted. Where churches are planted, planted Christ is made much of. And the, the word increases. And we get all the way to our last verse and the very last word. Look at it again. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Now, this is Luke's way of saying he was in chains but he didn't go to a dungeon. He, he proclaimed Christ. He lived at his own expense. He actually rented a house. Probably some of his benefactors helped him fund this. He rented his own place to live. He has guards with him all the time. He cannot just up and leave anytime he wants to. He is bound, but it's, it's, it's a type of imprisonment where there is some freedom. But as he is doing this, look at what Paul's doing. He is proclaiming, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The last word of this story is a single word that we translate without hindrance. It's a Greek word, akalutos, which means with unable to stop. Without, it can't be contained. Listen, Paul's in chains. He can't leave. He can only go so far. He can only do so much. But the glory of the gospel, the word of God cannot be hindered. It cannot be contained. You cannot stop this. Paul is going to die, but the gospel is unhindered. Other people are going to die. And we start thinking it depends on a person, we will miss the point. The gospel is unhindered. It is going to multiply. It's going to accomplish its purpose. And the glory of the gospel is this. When Christ is proclaimed, people will believe. We need to keep proclaiming Christ in the gospel. Number three, the futility of obstacles. The whole story is about one obstacle after another. One obstacle after another. Sometimes these obstacles come from within. Early in the story, we end up with with a, a really rotten couple who tried to, to ruin the character of the church. And God just goes, dead. It's crazy. But he's protecting the early church. We, we see it come with a couple moments where it looks like the church is going to divide, often around the culture, cultural, social, and political divides of the, the culture around it. Yet the Spirit leads them to stay together, to stay unified in the faith. There is a major theological debate that could split the church in half and ruin the church, yet the Holy Spirit keeps the church strong. There are all kinds of hindrances, and some of them from within, but we also have a lot of hindrances from without, a lot of obstacles, a lot of challenges from without. And they start with, with people who want to kill and, and, and harm and hurt those who are preaching Christ. We have a man early in the story who preaches Christ boldly, and he dies for his faith. And the church scatters, and it looks like the opposition has won. Yet we see that that was God's divine purpose to get the gospel from Jerusalem and for the word of God to spread to other places as Christians scatter. We, we see uh, the first apostle 
James the Apostle beheaded by the king in the Middle East at that time. And, and we see rulers and, and authorities all through the story who are trying to stop the gospel, who are trying to kill the church, who are trying to end the story. But they cannot do it. Nothing they do can stop the spread of the gospel. The, 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 the obstacles are futile in the end because this is God's mission he is going to accomplish. And, and there is nothing that can happen that can stop this. And so the, in the whole story, we're told over and over again that nothing, absolutely nothing, not a shipwreck, not a giant storm, not even a snake bite can stop God's purpose of getting the gospel where he wants it to go. And so that's a theme in Acts. The fourth theme that we see all through the story is the importance of the church. Everywhere where you go in the story, everything that happens, the, the people go and, and you end up with a community of faith in every city. Starts in Jerusalem with the mother church, his first church, and they become the beautiful community. And what we see is the church is not like a place or a building, it's a people who are in community, and there's a beautiful community of people who have turned from their idols, turned from their religious quests, turned from other ideas, and they have trusted in Jesus, but now they're in a community, a beautiful religious a, a, a community together. That church sends out missionaries, we see a church planted in Antioch, we see churches planted all over the world, and what happens is Acts begins to tell us that everywhere the gospel goes, there is a church, and that church, like Paul keeps leaving these cities, and what, what we tend to do is go, okay, Paul left, what now? The answer is that the church is left there to be the living community of faith that, that makes much of Jesus in that town. The church really matters. We're kind of in this moment where we have all these people who are kind of starting to go, the church is, as an institution, is, is, is a bad thing. And listen, you need to hear me. I know the church has all kinds of warts and problems and issues like the church, like the whole idea of church. And, and a lot of people in our culture have been wounded and hurt, have been marginalized and outcast by the church. The church has got itself in all kinds of crazy things. Yet, to look at this thing and say, listen, I can be spiritual without going to church is just not New Testament. The church matters in Acts. It matters in the whole story of the Bible. And, and so we need to find ourselves in a place where we have a community of people around us. We are living in, in closeness to those people, and we are trusting in what Christ is doing in and through us. We love one another. We serve one another. And this is what happens in the church. And the church is important in God's plan. So important that I would say that the church is central to the mission. God does not have plan B. He's not looking at the world going, well, I tried it with the church. It's these communities of believers, they are so messed up. They are so broken. What Christ keeps doing is he keeps moving and purging, sending his spirit, but also uh, sending discipline at times to the church. But he is going to accomplish his purpose through his people. Which leads to the last beautiful truth that we find all through Acts is that God's purpose for people. That the whole story has been about the will of God through the church of Jesus Christ and his purpose being accomplished through ordinary, marginalized, weak, broken people. None of them have power in the culture. There's, there's not a governmental leader in the, in the lot. None of them have any authority in Rome or in Jerusalem. None of them are on the Sanhedrin or, or end up in the seat of any governmental system for the Roman government, yet they are filled with the Spirit. And just ordinary people like Peter, a fisherman, or ordinary people like the skeptic who was Jesus' brother on earth, James, who just couldn't believe his brother was really God until he was risen again. Ordinary people who have deep, deep failures like Paul who is on record for killing Christians. He's a murderer and has been involved in the persecution of Christians. Yet, God chooses to accomplish his purpose for his glory through ordinary, just simple people. And God uses people. And so here's Paul. He's in prison. 
here he is in, in, in uh, Rome, and he's in prison, and we go, well, why, why not just set him free, God? Why not just let him go? Why not, like, he could, he could do so much more for you if you would just, like, meet his needs and set him free. He could do so much more. Why would God keep Paul in prison for two years? Well, you know what he's doing? Paul's preaching to the, to the guards. He's preaching to other people. But Paul, Paul starts getting bored, and he starts getting reports about some of these churches he loves. And what Paul does is when he starts hearing reports and his boredom, hours upon hours each day, he has his books. You know, there's one place where he asks somebody to bring him all of his books and his parchments so he can read. He's reading scripture, studying scripture, interacting with. He's got a lot of hours in a day. And so Paul sets up a desk and he grabs a pen and he starts writing some beautiful letters to churches that he planted, churches that he loves. If we don't have this two-year pause, we do not have the books of Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians or Philemon in our Bibles. It is during this period, most likely during this period of Paul's life, this two years, which in Acts is two verses that Paul pens what are often, like in a lot of places, the most preached books in the entire Bible. Paul writes this from Philippians while he's in this imprisonment. He says, I want you to know my brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord of my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak without fear. Paul's just like, man, I'm an ordinary person. <laughs> Nothing special about me. I'm in prison, but here's what's going on. Because of the work of God in my life, through my life, the work of the Spirit, people here are more bold. They're more comfortable sharing their faith. And I get to write to you. And we have those books in our Bible. Praise God for two years in, in Rome, right? Praise God for, for God just in an ordinary way. But reminding us that Paul's not the point of the story. Jesus is. And so, so this, these are the themes of Acts. So you're like, okay, that's great. What does this have to do to me? Well, with me today. Uh, because you just kind of give us more history. What do I do with this? Well, guess what? What has happened? Acts 29. The story in Acts ended, but the story that started in Acts did not. Now we have 2,000 years of human history. 2,000 years of what started in Acts with 120 people in an upper room. Started in Acts with a few people waiting for the Holy Spirit. Started in Acts with the Holy Spirit coming on this crowd of people on the day of Pentecost and the spread of the gospel. We have 2,000 years of that story being told over and over again. And the story of church history, guess what? Is the story of the, the purpose of the triune God, that God is decreed that the, the salvation will go to the ends of the earth, that the gospel will spread to all people. Uh, it has happened through all kinds of people. For example, it has happened through missionaries. Let me tell you a real quick story about a young man who was captured as a, as a, 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 a uh, at, not an adolescent, as a, an elementary age kid, and he was taken across a, a, a sea to another place, and he gets to that place, and he lives as a slave among those people. And as he lives among a slave among those people, he despises them. His actual slaveholder owner, who who kidnapped him, was a cruel, evil man. When he becomes an adolescent, he flees and runs away, and goes back to his homeland. And while he's back in his homeland, he meets Jesus Christ. And Christ saves him. And as Christ saves him, he begins to be transformed. So the Holy Spirit begins to flood his soul with a love for the people who captured him. And so he, as a young adult, goes back across the sea that he was like crossed now twice, once being dragged into slavery, once fleeing from slavery. He crosses the sea a third time and goes back to this place and begins to preach Christ. And it leads to a revival in that nation that includes the salvation of the man who captured him and took him. Does anybody know whose story I just told? We're going to drink green beer this week to that man. That's St. Patrick's story. Everybody says he drove all the, the, the you know, the, the uh, snakes out of Ireland. That is just a metaphor to say he preached Christ and they believed in the evil of, of the satanic rituals and Celtic religion ran away. 
a missionary used by God, and we're still pausing to remember him at wearing green. Because Patrick was obedient. This is how God has worked. And the triune God is going to accomplish his mission. He is going to plant churches, and the church matters. The church has its warts and struggles, and there's all kinds of stuff, and there are all kinds of obstacles. The church has failed in a lot of places. We have the Inquisition. We have, you know, things like uh, uh, the Crusades. We have scandals and all this sort of stuff. We have massive uh, uh, theological moments that could have melted the church down, yet the Spirit moves the church and, and works through the church through the ages. The gospel is glorious all the way through. It's a story of the spread of the gospel to the nations. And it keeps going. And no obstacle can stop it. As God keeps you all through history, there's just this long line of stories of ordinary nobodies that meet Christ or filled with the Spirit and become part of the story. I have a visual for you to show you what happened since Acts 28 in history. Check it out. This is the spread of Christianity from that day. Top left-hand corner are, are your ages. you see it? Every other major world religion, 80% of the adherents live on no more than two continents. But the gospel has made it everywhere. It can't be stopped. And so here we are this morning. We're Genesis Church. You're a guest with us. You're just hanging out. You're like, man, this guy goes for a long time. I'm almost done, but just hang with me. Here we are, okay? And, and we are part of the story. The mission of the triune God is not going to be stopped. He is going to accomplish his purpose. We are close. The gospel to all nations, to all tribes, all people groups. We get to be a part of that. And God is still using uh, his people. That gospel, uh, that, that, that mission happens through the proclamation of the gospel. That, that, that we are going to make much of Jesus and preach Jesus everywhere we can. And as we make much of Jesus, God is going to work through that. We're seeing some, some beautiful things right now. Maybe God is doing a work of revival and awakening in our nation. But that mission, I can tell you right now today that in sub-Sahara Africa, in, in uh, South America, in the Middle East where Islam is the major dominant uh, worldview, and in Southeast Asia, the gospel is exploding. Is it, it is exploding floating in China. God is accomplishing his purpose. It may feel like here, man, people are becoming less Christian, but the truth of the matter is that God is accomplishing his mission, and he is doing it now, and he is doing it through the preaching of the gospel, through the planting of churches, the importance of the local church, and here we are in this city, and we have a chance to be part of God's mission here, and it is the story of obstacles. Listen, there's all kinds of obstacles to the gospel right now. There's a hardness of heart, there's massive failures of Christianity in our culture. We have sex abuse scandals. We have Christians who have turned the gospel into something that is about making them rich. Yet, 
those obstacles can't stop the gospel. We have opposition and growing persecution here that, that is nowhere near what it is around the world. But nothing's going to stop this. God is still telling his story. And he still uses ordinary people. I either interact with God like this. God, here am I. What's your will for my life? Bless me. Help me. I want to live for you, so pour into me. And, and we have this very me-centered understanding of God's will, God's purpose. I don't think anybody in here would say, like if I were to say, do you want to know God's purpose for your life? I don't think anybody in here would go, yeah, no, nah, I'm good. We all want that, right? Yet, we approach God like this. Tell me what you want for me. And, and we interact with our own lives and therefore the book of Acts, reading it like it's a personal coach. That's what I want. I want God to be my personal coach, to come alongside, to help me figure out my life, to help me, tell me how to live, how, what, to, what to do, how I can experience the best blessing and feel closest to you, God. And really what's going on is rather than understanding God and the scriptures as my personal coach, it's an invitation into a story. We are soldiers being invited into a mission. That's how we should read the scriptures. That's how we should read Acts. And, and, and so I should not be asking a question, God, what is your will for my, what is your will for my life? The, the right question is, God, what is your will? And how do I find my way into this great story, this story of God's purpose, of, of the gospel being made much of, of the importance of the church, obstacles, but Lord, I am in this. How do I live my life for your fame? When we do that, we get to become Acts 29. The network that we joined, the first thing that drew me to it was the name. The story began 2,000 years ago in a 30-year period of history, but we are still part of that story. And for his fame and his glory, from now until I take my last breath, I, I just want to be an ordinary person who is part of that story. And that's what I hope for you. Now, if you're here today and you're like, I'm not even sure who this Jesus guy is and what that means, what that means today is we want to tell you about Jesus. We'd love to have that conversation for, with you. So the band's going to come up. We're going to sing to Jesus. We're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to be reminded that our God saves. If you're here today and you're like, this is new, or I'm not sure, or I have questions, we would love to have a conversation with you. I'll be over here at the end of the service, but we also will have people over here by the speaker who would love to talk, pray with you, interact with you, help you, answer any questions you have. For the rest of us, Acts is an invitation to join the story. It's an invitation to join the story. And, and my challenge to you is, yeah, you're ordinary, you're, you're, you're you know, going about your life, realize that God has a beautiful plan. But that plan is not just bless me, help me. That plan is including you in a great narrative of his redemptive purpose in the world. And we get to be part of it, okay? Lord, we thank you for Acts. As we come to a close. Thank you for this journey. And I just pray this morning as we finish that you'll remind us of the beauty of, of your purpose in the world and that you'll include us in it. Thank you for how you pour out your spirit on those people on Pentecost, and we pray that you would do it again and again. Lord, do it again. May we see revival and awakening in our culture, in our community, in our city. Use us here to see our friends and our neighbors hear the gospel and come to faith in Jesus. Make much of yourself in our town through us. And we just pray that we, we would be used by you for your purpose. In your name I pray, amen.